Many public sector employers don't have a dedicated human resources department or have a department that is stretched too thin. This unique challenge makes it difficult to run an employee benefits program, especially when juggling multiple vendors to provide benefits. American Fidelity has helped over 5,100 public sector employers streamline their benefits administration. With 60 years of experience serving public sector employers, we're able to easily apply our industry knowledge to your organization. We also know your budget is tight. Because of our extensive local and national knowledge of cities and towns, we have a broad understanding of tools, options, and best practices others are using to manage costs and save time. Additionally, improving benefit literacy has been shown to have a positive effect on employee engagement, retention, and even absenteeism. Contact Indiana State Manager Aaron Talukian to learn more by calling 405-416-7896. Welcome to AIM Hometown Innovations Podcast. This podcast is designed to offer insights, best practices, and innovative solutions for the challenges facing Hoosier cities and towns. Each edition will offer ideas and inspiration while showcasing the talent and commitment of Indiana's local leaders. Enjoy the program. Welcome to Ames Hometown Innovation Podcast. I'm Matt Greller with AIM. Today's podcast is a topic we do revisit somewhat frequently for obvious reasons. It's transportation. Joining us today is State Senator Mike Kreider. Senator Kreider represents Hancock County and some portions of Marion and Shelby County. The Senator is the Majority Whip and also chairs the State Homeland Security and Transportation Committee. Also joining us is Indiana Department of Transportation Commissioner Mike Smith. Commissioner Smith joined NDOT in 2015 as Deputy Commissioner of the Greenfield District. From there he went on to become Deputy Commissioner of Operations and then CFO. The position he held uh, upon becoming Commissioner in 2022. Uh, following the departure of former Mayor Franklin Joe McGinnis. Uh, Senator, Commissioner, welcome to the podcast. Thanks a lot for joining us. It's good to be with you. Yeah, thanks for having us. Let's jump in with a uh, an easy topic, community crossings. Uh, I don't think I need to tell either of you how important this has been to cities and towns and counties, for that matter, across the, the state. Uh, it's just been absolutely an amazing program. Uh, Senator, you were you were there when it was developed in the legislature. Uh, Commissioner, you were at NDOT during its development. Maybe just share some of your perspective uh, on the program. Has it lived up to expectations? Where do you see it going next, if, if anywhere, or growing or decreasing or whatever it might be? Uh, just been a great program. We'd love to hear your, your thoughts on it. Let me start with you, uh, Commissioner Smith. Okay. Uh, yeah, thanks. I think, uh, I think by all accounts, uh, Community Crossings is one of the most popular uh, programs that NDOT's got going. You know, we, um, we have a lot of programs where we either have to say no or there's a lot of rules. And this is one that's been pretty universally beloved um, from our, for our ability to just give local towns, uh, counties, municipalities uh, monies and they can turn it right into the basic blocking and tackling of what we need to do to take care of our infrastructure, right? So a lot of just basic pavement jobs and bridge jobs, but I don't wanna make that sound any less important than what it is. This is 
pride, sense of place. This is uh, great communities, great places to live that this program has really fostered and, and allowed us to implement. So uh, I think the grand total is $1.15 billion that the program has uh, maybe given away is not the right word, but that uh, local communities have earned and implemented, right? Um, and I, I just, I didn't get it when I became the commissioner uh, until I went out for my first um, round of, of kind of giving these out. And, you know, the, the governor talked a lot about it when, uh, when he chose to um, appoint me to the position. And, and I, I just didn't get it. Like, what, what are you talking about? Why, why are you always talking about community crossings? And, in, and when I went out and gave that first round of awards to hear communities just talking about, we were depending on this um, to make this difference in our town or to accomplish this that's going to attract this business or uh, allow us to um, really look at the future and, and the kinds of economic development and uh, pride of community initiatives. So it's, uh, it's been a great uh, um, program up to this point. I know there's a lot of back and forth on both sides about what it should be going forth. I think um, we're always open and open to listening to that, uh, but we want to be careful, really careful um, that it's accomplishing the goals for both small and large communities across the state. Senator, I remember, you know, right at the inception of the program, I was out in Greenfield, Mayor Fuel had an event. I think it was his first award in community crossings and you were there and I think Speaker Bosma at the time was there too. And we were in a, in a neighborhood area and people were literally coming out of their house to thank everybody for the work that was being done uh, on their streets. It was pretty cool. So what, what's been your experience with the program and what do you think about it? Sure, and um, I, I will agree with uh, Commissioner Smith. This program has been by all accounts a, a home run. Um, you mentioned the the initial um, experience I had with it, and you know you see some of those. They're not major thoroughfares, kind of a side street that maybe wouldn't been high on the priority list otherwise um, get attention. And those those projects really mean a lot to the residents that, that live along those thoroughfares. And so uh, that kind of started my experience with it, and I've uh, traveled around the state. Uh, certainly around my district to various project openings uh, following that. And I, I mean, I think the, the praise for the program is, is really universal. Um, we made a couple tweaks, I think, that made it more useful to uh, the locals when we allowed the smaller units to match at a, at a smaller percentage. And, and that's made the program even uh, more appealing to, to some of the smaller units. But you know, we use the word transformative um, quite a bit and as we talk about new projects and the infrastructure funding package uh, that I was um, allowed to carry in 2017 through the Senate has really uh, been transformative for the state. We, we have done some innovative things and I think uh, Community Crossings uh, grant program is, is probably at the top of that list, allowing the local units to have some skin in the game. Um, one of the things I find really appealing is they have to have a asset management plan and, and they're looking at their infrastructure and, and trying to make sure that they are thinking about the future and what, what's coming down the road. And so um, 
I agree. This is this has been a fantastic program, and I hear about it constantly as I interact with local officials. You know, I I'm a big user of Indiana infrastructure. I probably drive 40, 45,000 miles a year and rarely leave the state. And almost every time I get into a, a smaller city or town around the state, the first thing they want to show me is, you know, where they've used community crossings in a particular area of the community. Conversely, you know, the, the bigger communities are certainly appreciative of the program, but sometimes they struggle to see why you know, a town of 800 people has a million dollar max and, you know, a city of 90,000 has a million dollar max, which puts us in a rough spot. Obviously, we have members in, in both camps. I know there's been some talk about that in, in the lane miles versus center line miles issue. We talked about MVH distributions. Maybe ask you, Senator, what, um, you know, what conversations have you heard about those issues, where do you think we're headed in the legislature? And then come back to you, Mike, with the same same question. Well, I, I've heard um, uh, quite a bit of discussion about um, the potential of allowing uh, a little bit more flexibility in the community crossings uh, fund. And, and um, you know, the, the idea that um, units could combine for projects of reasonable um, significance and maybe we allow uh, a bit more money in in certain areas for projects like that i mean i think the the thing that we have to be careful of is to make sure that we um, are protecting the program so that the integrity of the program really remains the same uh, there there are some things i think we could do um, and and I think Representative Pressel is, is really interested in, in a couple of those ideas. Um, I'm just trying to make sure that as we look at um, future challenges coming down the road, you know, our infrastructure system is funded from the sale of gasoline and, and the sales tax on that transaction. And, you know, we're talking about the electric vehicles and how that might impact the um, the state's revenue streams. Recently at the interim study committee, we had a pretty good discussion about that. And so I'm, I'm just trying to make sure that whatever we do, we do it in a way that still keeps um, the availability of funding to the smaller units, uh, allows them to do what they need to do for their infrastructure and, and um, be cognizant of, the, of some of those challenges. Uh, you know, a city, a larger city that has multiple lanes. I, I get their concern. A city like Indianapolis um, probably gets a direct distribution of some federal funds. And so I don't really know what that looks like. But, you know, we're open to um, considering um, ideas that that make sense. And, you know, if, if the, the will of the, the communities that we serve as as legislators and as the NDOT, um, agency you know if they if they want to see changes i think we should at least listen to that discussion and and see what good ideas uh, remain out there um there's nothing really set in stone that i that i know of um there's <clears throat> there's some discuss discussion around the uh protected uh, portion of the mbh fund and and so we'll see how that plays out over the next legislative session 
Same question to you, Commissioner. I know you're not in a in the legislature per se, but your your opinion is certainly going to be asked, I think, on these these issues. Sure. Um, well, I agree with a lot of the senators' comments. I think uh, the best thing that we could do is not try to fix one problem by causing another. And so we've just lauded the kind of impact that Community Crossings has had across the state. Um, and so I wouldn't want to see us make changes to that program that kind of have us go backwards in some of our small communities or really the uh, community, the, the type of impact that we made across our asset management strategy at the local level across the entire state, no matter how big the community is. For every, uh, for every big community, uh, we hear talking about the cap and the appetite that they have for the amount of infrastructure needs that they have. We have small counties out there talking about the amount of bridges that they have to take care of and the type of uh, expense that those uh, costs uh, incur and, and the kind of um, imposition that is on, on uh, their relatively uh, meager uh, versus other communities uh, circumstances at times. So. Uh, I guess I would echo the Senator's comments. We're open uh, to continuing the dialogue. I would echo his thoughts that there are more than one way to skin a cat. There's a lot of options on the table. And so I think that we can preserve the integrity of the program with community crossings while uh, continuing to educate and provide information to the legislature as they decide what the future of infrastructure investments need to be. And I don't think there's any doubt um, that there needs to be a strong priority on continuing to prioritize infrastructure funding to solve these issues that a lot of the communities are pointing out. Well, I'll just leave it with this. It's great that we're even having this kind of discussion about a program that's been so successful. You know, I just leave it with that and that it's been tremendous uh, infrastructure work that we've done, you've all done over the last four or five years has been fantastic. Senator, you mentioned electric vehicles. We can't have an infrastructure talk these days without talking about EVs. So where are we heading in the state? Um, charging stations, infrastructure development, impact on revenue, all those things I think are up for debate. Uh, Senator, you wanna start with some, some comments in the electric vehicle space? Sure, so <clears throat> I just uh, met with the, um, the automakers um, a week or so ago and we discussed you know kind of what their plans are and i think it's safe to say that the manufacturers are all in on the um, electric vehicle discussion and that the question becomes you know do we have the um, infrastructure both in the utility space and also within our transportation space really to support that that move. And so I, I think, you know, and the commissioner can speak to this better than I, that their uh, distribution of the, the charging stations was recently approved. Um, and that will be along major thoroughfares, but there, there's a lot of um, discussion that will take place. Uh, individual um, manufacturers will have their charging locations. And um, I think, you know, the, the thing that we've been kind of watching is is what the uptake is uh, within the state of Indiana, and and we've moved from about uh, three thousand annual uh, registrations of new vehicles 
uh, electric vehicles to uh, we're closer to the eight thousand dollar or eight thousand uh, vehicle range now, and and I think that that percentage will kind of go up exponentially. We we've noticed over this summer that each month the the number of electric vehicles being registered is is increasing, and so uh, we have to continue to pay attention to that because we will hit a fiscal cliff. Um, at the time we were working on 1002 in 2017, we thought that was maybe a 20-year fiscal cliff. And I think um, NDOT still is in that in that mode that uh, perhaps we're looking at 2040, where it's really significant, about 50% of the of the sales or the registration of vehicles. And so um, I'm I'm just trying to make sure that we as a legislative body, that the fiscal folks, uh, guys like me that serve on the, the budget making committees are paying attention to this so that we don't lose our ability to, to continue to lead the nation really in a, a fully funded um, infrastructure uh, maintenance program. Um, you know, the the utilities I'm meeting with are, are concerned about the fact that, um, you know, if you have multiple vehicles on the same mile or same neighborhood, you know, they're gonna have to do things like change out transformers and beef up the supply lines. Uh, home builders and homeowners are gonna have to consider that excess capacity that's gonna be needed for that vehicle. and. And some of the electric companies are already starting to do things like bifurcate their rates so that there's a peak load period and, a, and an off-peak um, funding structure for their programs to try to encourage people to, to do things like set timers and charge their vehicles overnight. And so it's a big discussion and it's, and it's kind of one that, that moves out in the taxation uh, field, it moves in the utility space, and certainly uh, when you talk about programs like community crossings, we don't want to see uh, the funding go to a point where we can't do programs like that. And so we're we're watching it pretty closely. And I know um, just based on the conversation and follow-up conversation I've had with folks at NDOT um, after our last interim study committee, they're paying close attention to this also. Commissioner, same uh, same thing to you. What, what's your take on electric vehicles and, and where are we headed? Yeah, the senator did a nice job, so I'll give him credit for knowing more than uh, more than he let on. But uh, just to fill in some details, I think there's been a lot of confusion about uh, what the agency uh, is doing and what kind of the federal um, investment in EV charging network is. So uh, maybe helpful just to go through that a bit. So. Uh, we did just get our plan uh, approved. That'll be a working document. So I think uh, six months ago, 12 months ago, uh, maybe 12 months ago now, we were not necessarily EV charging ex experts in the state and other partners were really just trying to figure out um, who was going to own this kind of brand new technology and building on a network and this, that, and the other thing. I think the other thing that you understand is um, we're not gonna be doing this in a vacuum. So there's gonna be a lot of private investment. And so trying to figure out our role in filling in gaps and um, maybe filling in those desert areas, maybe filling in those um, 
places where the private sector doesn't see as much return on investment and therefore doesn't prioritize some of the areas. So uh, that's what we'll kind of be looking at. But in terms of, of the plan that was just approved, um, we'll spend $99 million over the course of the next five years in selling uh, infrastructure. Those, uh, those sites in the initial plan, the NEVI plan will be um, along alternative fuel corridors. Uh, for those that don't know what those are, that's essentially the interstates across the state and US 31. We're looking at potentially adding US 30 the next time we identify alternative fuel corridors. Those charging stations will need to be within a mile of an interchange and will be largely geared toward solving the problem of long distance range anxiety. So this will be a little bit less on the kind of local, hey, I live in a city and I have street parking or I uh, live in an apartment complex and maybe don't necessarily have infrastructure of my own to, uh, to invest. So that's where the initial investment will uh, from the NEVI program will uh, be intended to be used. From there, there are a lot of discretionary grant opportunities for folks to take advantage of the um, ability to invest in EV charging infrastructure. And this is where it will be a little bit more of an artistic interpretation. And so folks will have the ability to kind of bring their latest and greatest and best ideas uh, at, the at the local level. Um, where do we need a need? What is the most artful way? And really we're all looking at how do we take a $5 investment and turn it into uh, six or $7 of investment with private money and this, that, and the other thing. So I think the agency is keenly aware that we are not an owner and operator, and this is not a core competency for us to run a EV charging network. So we will have a uh, RFP process to work with outside organizations to help us install and onboard the EV charging infrastructure. In terms of funding, the Senator is absolutely correct. Um, this is not a surprise to us. Actually, the approach that we've taken is similar to the lead up to the 2017 fully funded preservation plan. And so we've got um, different models and scenarios of what adoption curves might look like and what that means to gas tax, re tax revenues and therefore the agency and the state's ability to invest in our infrastructure. And we're working on that education process now because uh, we don't view it as a slam dunk. We'd love to solve that tomorrow or this session, but I think uh, we'll probably more likely be looking and keenly following the actual adoption rates to see, uh, to see where this goes. So we're prepared to uh, help the legislature with education on what our different options to solve this problem are and what the scope of it is. And uh, so we'll just continue that process of working with our legislative partners to address what's coming at us. Thank you both. Exciting, uh, exciting times, I guess, as we move to this, this new way of transportation. Uh, it's gonna be very different for a lot of people. Does that mean that all of our gas vehicles are gonna be worth a ton of money here in the not too distant future as classic vehicles or? You know, it's an engaged crowd and we've engaged with people that uh, for the most part uh, maybe have uh, stood on the sidelines of transportation discussion. Uh, the Senator mentioned all the folks that he was, uh, he was talking to, but uh, I've heard a lot of people say that if 2035 is the last year my uh, 
Ford manufacturer is building a gigantic diesel dually, then that's what I'm buying that year. So um, there'll be different rates of, uh, of adoption on this thing and early adopters and late adopters, but we will all work through it together. So. I think a lot of you know news out of Washington recently has been around the, the infrastructure legislation that passed. You know, a big chunk of money is is on its way to Indiana. Been a lot of conversation. I know you all at Indot are working through how that's going to flow and where the money's going to go. Commissioners, any news you can share with us about how those funds are going to filter through the system and, and hopefully ultimately get down to the municipal level at some point. Yeah, uh, I would say that's already happening. Um, so I think uh, as is natural, the media ran with this big, huge uh, bipartisan infrastructure law and the headlines were trillions and, and trillions of dollars worth of investment. And certainly, uh, while that's true, I don't think all of it was new and a lot of it's coming as most know by now in the form of a lot of discretionary type of grants as well uh, to look at some specific program elements that have been prioritized by Congress and the current administration. And so <clears throat> maybe a brief explainer. I think this falls in a couple of buckets in terms of local impact from our perspective. Um, the formula portion uh, certainly is already the portion that is primarily enacted I think it means uh, something like $150 million worth of additional formula funding this year for the agency. And based off of our 75-25 split, I, that, that number is somewhere in the 50 to $60 million range in terms of additional local formula funds. Those are, as is the course uh, of our normal business, those go through two areas. They go through additional MPO investment. So they work through the MPO areas for our local partners who are, are in those areas, and then additional LPA investment for those local partners who are not in the uh, MPO areas throughout the state. So those are already happening and we're, um, uh, expanding those investments appropriately uh, across the state. The other bucket is, uh, as I talked about briefly, is that discretionary grant program uh, or multiple discretionary grant programs, I guess would be the right way to put it. And those are really coming out all of the time. And so I think the message there is uh, we're working with places like LTAP, um, trying to keep uh, AIM and AIC and other organizations informed of the opportunities that are upcoming and making sure that we're providing as many resources as possible for our local partners to understand what's coming. Uh, the plug that I would make is just as much as you need to know what's going on, the more we can know what you're applying for and doing, the more we can help you have a successful project. Whether that's in some circumstances standing out of your way or in others, helping you with a little bit of the expertise that we can provide. Um, I think we need to make sure that we strike the right note there, but generally knowing what is coming out uh, uh, at us um, helps us all plan and, and partner uh, a lot better. So uh, we would be happy uh, to educate and help folks at the local level through our district offices and other means uh, with grant opportunities that are out there and available. 
the last thing I guess I would say before I will be quiet and let the senator uh, talk is um, I think historically Indiana has had some level of challenge competing uh, successfully for discretionary grant dollars. And so altering and really looking that we're tailoring our applications to the intent and types of projects that will score well in those discretionary grant opportunities is going to be more important than ever before. We've already discovered some uh, failed applications and attempts based off of um, not striking the right chords. So we're also already at the agency trying to adjust our approach. And we think that our local partners should as well in terms of providing really good applications that really hit the mark of what these programs are really trying to, to fund. Senator, last word to you. What, uh, what are you gonna be working on this legislative session and maybe give us a quick preview before we sign off this morning? Sure, well, I, I just wanted to thank you for the opportunity to, to speak about this. You know, Mike just mentioned the, um, the federal grants and as a former administrator in state government, when I consider federal grants, I consider strings attached. And so to the extent that um, you folks, organizations like AIC and others can, and, and NDOT can help uh, local units um, put the right wording uh, in the grant applications and, and the right justification so that those are approved. I think that's, that's a great asset. Um, we've tried to be creative in the legislative arena and, and create opportunities like the, the state federal uh, dollar swap so that it can help local units um, take some of that uh, sting away from the federal grants and, and, and use um, the state money with ha which has less strings attached. But for this next legislative session, I think, um, you know, I, I don't have anything really that's transportation related currently in the works. Um, I think uh, most folks, if they hear my name, associate me with, a lot with uh, the work that I've done related to behavioral health and mental health issues. And, and certainly that affects, um, you know, people across the state and, and it affects us local government just as much as it affects us at the state level. And so we're trying to build, um, after the Behavioral Health Commission report, we're really trying to build a, a network that will help better serve that population. And, and um, I really can't think of a single issue that really addresses um, or impacts more folks across the state than maybe uh, this discussion certainly uh, impacts workforce and and all the the local units uh, have a, a good number of employees that potentially are impacted and so that's going to be kind of my personal um, um, efforts are going to be directed in that arena um, and you know I look forward to seeing what my colleagues and, and others bring to the um, transportation discussion uh, the bills that are signed to the committee, we try to do a good job uh, vetting those well and, and um, considering all the impacts of, of things like uh, overweight divisible loads and things like that. The recent sessions that we've had, we've tried to make sure that what we passed um, would work for the locals as well as uh, on the state routes and give the locals opportunities to help designate approved routes and things like that as we consider that legislation. So I'll, 
I'll be in that mode again. I look forward to um, collaborating with all the folks that are involved in these discussions and, and doing what we can to make sure that we're passing um, the right public policy and not just moving bills along the process. Well, thank you both. Uh, Commissioner Mike Smith, Senator Mike Kreider, really pre appreciate you joining the podcast today and uh, thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us. This podcast was sponsored by American Fidelity.